Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. The Deconstructionist Podcast is a place for people to find safety with their doubts and their questions. It's a place where we examine our lives and our worldviews and our faith and our beliefs and things we see and taste and touch throughout the world and we we evaluate them question them and wrestle with them and encounter them and we call ourselves the deconstructionists because we think one of the ways to be a person of authenticity is to look at things with honesty and integrity and take things apart and not just let somebody believe for you not just take something you've inherited and just swallow it wholesale but wrestle with it struggle with it sometimes walk away from it completely if only to come back to it again in a new and fresh way. And one of the important things that that we want to point out, though, is that we are not just about blowing up our entire belief systems, but rather um, we're also into reconstruction. Absolutely. And so um, to be clear, you know, we are not out there saying that you just need to tear down all the walls. Mm. Um, We're also saying there are some things that you're going to want to hold on to, some things you want to keep along the way. And um, you know, it's really cool in this day and age, I think, to to be uh, a seeker, you know, and be like, I don't really believe in anything, man, you know. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, you know, for some people. I'm a people, gypsy of belief. I'm just from <laughs> yeah. one thing to another. And, um, yeah, and uh, I think the, the big thing, though, is it's okay to find things and to hold on to them. I so, love that you said that. That Thank is, you, man. I think that <laughs> I think that's so important because, you know, it's like on our, you know, fanboy interview with Rob Bell which will now forever be called the fanboy interview. <laughs> <laughs> we did get a little giggly. We, we heard a lot of comments on... on uh, He's just so damn nice. I know. <laughs> you, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, for the people listening that Ab and I are just... I mean, this is not our full-time job, to be clear. We're just nerds in a basement yeah. with some microphones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we revealed to some friends of ours this week uh, how we record, and he was like, so what What studio do you guys record at? We're like, um, John's a couch, couch, a basement, <laughs> a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> we are so um, not professional, but, right. we, but we do take it seriously, and, right. and we value everybody that's a part of this conversation. We, we do mm. our homework, and we agonize over this, and we stress, and we struggle, and we strain, but we have yeah. so much fun oh man it's i mean i couldn't i couldn't ask for a better scenario um in the way this worked out just the the freedom to be able to read and read and read and research and discuss i mean this started out as just you know a conversation over beers with uh, with a friend and um we parlayed that into what has now become this crazy podcast yeah that has just been kind of running away with itself and um so i mean you know i i hope i hope the joy that we're having the fun that we're having um it is recognizable. I hope people can hear that. And, um, I hope you're having fun at home, you know, and we'll try to keep the giggling to a minimum, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't promise anything, yeah. man. I am Adam, the over-enthusiastic <laughs> person of um, all Exuberant. time, pure Exuberant. extrovert. <laughs> I'm going to try to not talk over John as much as I have <laughs> in the other episodes, but I think it is important, um, as we yeah. get into this little bit, uh, heavier material, we're getting into a three-part series now that people know who we are and that yeah. deconstruction is only half the story that you can't deconstruct things and just leave them. Time keeps moving forward. We keep moving forward in our experiences. And there is a reconstruction that needs to happen. And I think one of the things that we, you know, to borrow from Richard Rohr, who we haven't probably quoted in at least one episode. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) You know, it's if you don't go on your journey, 
mm-hmm. you're going to end up on somebody else's. Absolutely. And you got to be aware and you got to be present. And that's all we're really trying to do. We're not trying to shove dogma or doctrine or anything down people's throats. We're just trying to almost right. wake people up, maybe help people rub some of the uh, the crusties out of their eyes a little <laughs> bit and uh, approach life in a new and fresh way. Releasing an episode that we recorded over almost a month ago. Dude. With Dr. Timothy Mackey from The Bible Project. The Mac. T-Mac. So good. Oh my gosh. And that's just the start because then we're going to wrap it up uh, by talking about this fresh perspective on the, on the New Testament uh, with Dr. Alexander Shia um, in uh, three weeks. So, yes. Um, so having said that, we have some very content-heavy episodes, and we really, really want to be clear on the fact that, um, you know, we have a lot of notes in front of us. This is not memorized. No. <laughs> no. This is so content heavy because our brains are so enormous. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, my memory's so bad. So bad. That's Mine why I have so, so many bad. notes. We have kids. <laughs> yeah, that's <I> mean, true. <laughs> my brain is gone. If I have to memorize something new, I have to delete something from my memory banks. That's just the way it works at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but super content heavy. So having said that, um, we want to make it abundantly clear that the guests that we have on, the, the way that we select our guests for the show is, of course, we're going to go after people that we, we know and admire and have, have wanted to have conversations like this with for, uh, for a long time. Mm. However, the, the point of this podcast is to challenge you, is to make you a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. And to do that, we need to bring guests in who, who don't necessarily uh, swim within our stream of thought. Uh, we want to bring people in that bring in fresh perspectives, not necessarily ones that we always agree agree with. And it's important to note uh, also that you know the guests that we have on, um, we could we could be completely uh, you know 100% on the other side. Uh, yeah, just of an because issue we have. have somebody on, I think we don't right. necessarily agree with them. Right. We value them. Yes. There's a difference. Explain that. You don't have to agree with somebody. To respect them. You don't have to agree with somebody to benefit from their perspective. And if I could say one more thing, you don't have to agree with everything somebody says in order to agree with anything somebody says. Yes. So for our last guest, for example, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people from both sides you know, whether they're more, you know, a science-minded kind of rationalist and they kind of turn off when they hear we've got, you know, a former pastor on or mm-hmm. whatever. Maybe it was Simon Forsyth or Rob Bell. Um, you don't have to agree with everything that they say in order to find beauty and value in the things that they do say. Right. And then some of the more um, conservative, uh, traditional um, believers, Christians, whatever, may hear that we have somebody like a Rob Bell on or somebody like Simon Forsyth and some of some of his background and say, oh, well, you know, I don't I don't come from that version. Right. And it's like, well, you don't have to agree with everything somebody says to agree with anything. Right. Somebody says there's this sort of presupposition that I think a lot of people have that, again, gets back into those unconscious biases that we talked about a while back and an unconscious bias. The second one that really rocked my world was that confirmation bias wait a second, am I only surrounding myself with people that I agree with because really I want to feed my hubris uh. and my ego in telling me in an unconscious kind of way, Adam, mm-hmm. you're really, really right. Adam, you're so right. You're right, Adam. You're right all the time, Adam. You're so <laughs> right. He said that because you believe that, Adam. Did you hear that? You believe that? He said that? You believe that? Look, look more, more things you believe, Adam. Look, yeah, look, yeah. look. It's like... Wait a second. Hang on a second. Is my life been a record that's basically just been, 
you know, looping over and over. Yeah. Time to branch out and listen <laughs> to some new voices. Right. Even if you don't. So if this material that we present today and in the weeks to come for the Bible series, and you know what? This is a blanket statement for the whole podcast, for the episodes prior and the episodes coming. If it bothers you, if it agitates you, we're not sorry. Right. Good. Right. We're doing it in love and in grace and humility. And we're saying we don't necessarily agree with all of this, but we right. know that it's good for your hubris. It's good for your ego. It's good for your humanity mm-hmm. to start to learn to see people differently because you can't love somebody if you don't see them. Right. And, and I think the important thing also to add to that, I think this has to be fun, you know? Like they're damn well better be. I, I'm not yes. getting paid for this. Right. And unless anyone point, would like to make a, do, a donation. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. Because that's up on our website now. And yeah. you can totally make a donation. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So our. Buy uh, us a beer. <laughs> yeah. Or a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Which we paid for out of our pocket. So. <laughs> but uh, to point that out, yeah, this is all self-funded. So uh, any anyone who is, is uh, touched by this or this has been beneficial in any way, if you feel inclined to donate, we, um, you know, we'll, we'll take anything you're willing to 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 send our way um just you know go to our live events page and just click on the uh the uh, square page uh link there and you can do that but what i was saying before though is i think i think somewhere along the way uh religious debate spiritual debate you know became this this red-faced fish-shaking angry thing instead of a conversation Mm. and that's what we're trying to get away from so kind of to, to kind of sum up um our little intro here um i just want to say we love feedback we've been getting tons of amazing emails tons and and you know ones that 100 percent disagree with us ones that you know are just appreciative of what we're doing um and all of those mean a great deal to us all but of them thank you I for all say, of them honestly yes. but i would just say you know it, it, it's okay to disagree with us but um i would encourage people who do um who maybe are offended by something we say or or just even hate the episode um Kind of approach it with questions because we Absolutely. have made an attempt to, to 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 really intentionally and purposefully not make position statements um, and, and say as this much is the way as we it is. possibly can. Right, and we're going to throw out some things that obviously we agree with, but um, some of the the the, the things that we uh, will present on tonight's episode and future episodes are just other ideas and other theories uh, that have been worked through by other scholars who are much much smarter than we are. And we may not 100% agree with them, but the idea is to present some new and 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 hopefully uh, freeing options mm. and perspectives. Yeah. Um. So, you know, if, if you want to know where we stand on something, we'd be more than happy to discuss that. You know, through an email. Offline, so, absolutely yeah. on email. Yep. But totally. let's keep it. Let's keep it conversational. It and, just doesn't matter for yeah. this space. This isn't about yeah. us. Right. This is about the space. Yeah. And bringing people in. So. We want to keep it safe, man. Yep. So. So keep them coming. Um, yeah, just just keep a conversation with us, though. Like we are more than happy to to, and we try to respond to everybody. Right. So um, keep them coming. Um, keep it nice if you can. Sometimes you get <laughs> you might get two emails. Yeah. One from me and one from John. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> have it a few times. We're working on a system. <laughs> All right. So here we go. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> People have been waiting for this episode for a very long time. I wanted to get James Earl Jones in here just to say oh, man. the Bible. <laughs> and then pull a Darth Vader. I mean, okay, so bottom line, we're a couple guys that started a podcast about doubting, questioning, wondering, pulling things apart in order to look at them and yes. in order to be more authentic. And here we are 
with something that a lot of people believe myself included even though i'm not going to divulge you know to what degree <laughs> that you know this is a divine book yes and here we are we're going to pull it apart i mean yeah, not are. really but i a mean you, you know what i mean we're going to invite people to question it we're going right. to invite people to wrestle with it and we're going to invite people to hear various perspectives right that they probably don't agree with no matter who they are mm-hmm. so that's what we're going to do right i mean yeah I mean, let's be honest, like a lot of people have this very North American, Western, traditional way of, of, of reading scripture. Yeah. And so I don't I don't feel like we need to waste too much time on kind of going into that, right? No, I don't think so either. We, we're just going to have to yeah. assume a lot of things just to get into this and kind right. of with broad strokes, agitate some people. Right. Into seeing something that they haven't maybe seen before, considering mm-hmm. something that they hadn't considered before. And again... If this isn't for you, we want you to listen, but you don't have to. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna talk a little history, um, some some kind of uh, broad overviews. Uh, we're gonna talk um, like some objections people have, like big yeah. objections. You know, we're we're also gonna talk about we're gonna throw out this word that sounds kind of funny that a lot of people probably have never heard of called hermeneutics. Yes. And so we're going to get a little nerdy. The art of interpretation. Yes. And also keep in mind that we, this is absolutely one of those um, topics that we're going to revisit multiple times in the future. Um, oh, over and over. possibly hit on no, everything. No, 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 no. It's not like, well, we did a three-part series on the Bible. We'll never have to do that again. <laughs> right. So I think, and the reason we wanted to hit this topic uh, pretty pretty early on is because uh, we, we honestly believe that unless we can find some kind of happy medium, uh, some sort of solid ground uh, within Scripture, then there's really no point in us talking about any other topic in relation uh, to, to faith. Because this is where it all comes from. Yeah. So we got to kind of address this one, we right? Kind of. <laughs> we, I think we were originally going to start here, and then yeah. we just kind of got rolling and got some other things in front of it, <laughs> yeah. right? Because some yeah. of this, like a couple of these episodes were recorded like a long time ago. Yeah, true, true. Like, Tim, we Tim had Mackey's plans about this. a month ago. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things about the Bible and for anybody out there going through what they would call a crisis of faith mm-hmm. or um, an invitation into seeing things differently that seems a little scary or uncomfortable, the biggest point of contention that you probably have if you find yourself somewhere in the Christian stream and that's you and you're having some kind of a crisis of faith is that leather-bound books staring at you from your bookshelf or from the church pew. And it's like, what the hell do I do with this thing now? Yeah. And that has been, unfortunately, not a very well-publicized conversation. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been a very well-publicized place for people to come in and actually ask questions. Because let's get honest, man. Like, I know this is kind of putting the cart a little bit before the horse, but if you were raised in like the 1600s, yeah. You had a town Bible and everybody got together and you read it. Yep. Wasn't really a whole lot of stuff you'd even want to question. You didn't you didn't have a village microscope yet. You didn't have a telescope. Right. You know, people weren't talking about what was going on that in science that seemed to really contradict this book and started to seem to kind of pull it apart. Yeah. You didn't have a you didn't have a need to question. Right. Nobody around you was questioning. You Culture know, you wasn't know questioning. Questions to even ask Your at that friends point. weren't questioning. There <laughs> wasn't a place for it. Yeah. But Hey, now 
there's a freaking place for it and a need for it. And we've got to, this isn't about giving people answers, but giving people the permission to come inside and say, you're not going to get struck with a lightning bolt from heaven. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, if you open that thing up and go, man, I don't know about some of this. I, I just wonder about some, how, what do I do with some of this? And some of you are probably just mad. Yeah. I would, I mean, I've been there. I'm, I'm there sometimes where you look at some of this stuff or you look at what your parents are saying or what your pastor is saying or what your friend is saying that you think is a nut job fundamentalist, whatever. And you're saying, how can you believe that? Yeah. I want to know. Well, listen, because we're going to do our best to present mm-hmm. lots of different opinions on lots of different things that we think are like sticking points yeah. that may not need to be sticking points that may not need to keep us from interacting right. as human beings and listening to each other. And let's be honest. I mean, plenty of us growing up, um, you know, when stumbling upon some of these sticking points, some of these questions, um, we're given kind of a, a weak non-answer answer. Right. We're just like, well, that's just the way God intended it. And it's not for us to understand. <laughs> like the bumper sticker answer. Dude, that's such a shitty answer. <laughs> <laughs> like the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Yes. Right? Like how many times did you hear that growing up? Oh, uh, come on. Like, dude. It's a non-answer answer. It's a non-answer answer. So not we're not professing to know the answers to these questions, but... Um, We've looked into uh, some some things, you know. We've read some some books, and um, we've we've dug into some much wiser individuals who have been struggling with these same things for hundreds of years. Yes, and so we're going to present some some options. Yes, and uh, um, and hopefully start the, the the discussion because I think the forum and ha, forum has been um, super active lately, and that's really been exciting. A lot so of people. many people have been like, "When are you going to do some on the Bible?" Yeah. So I think this will just get the conversation going, and I love the fact that you guys are all kind of interacting with one another as well. Yeah, it's really good for community. Again, it's just not something that we should do alone, so hopefully right. you guys are starting to get that. So, all right, let's get going. The let's, Bible. Let's get nerdy, man. Let's do what, a little history first. All right, so before we get into some of this nerdy stuff, we got to start by a little bit of a provocative comment, and we really mean this, and we think this is the place that we need to start if there's going to be any room. right. To talk about this at all. So everyone pay attention. This is important. You may have heard this before, but a lot of you probably hadn't. And we really, we really feel strongly about this next statement, okay? The Bible is not a book. What? It the Bible come, is not a book. It well, didn't come fully, fully created, like in all of its chapters and, <laughs> and things? That's what you're telling me? I mean... Honestly, that's what I thought like growing up, man. I did too. And it's so why do we say that? Uh, why do we say and we and we do mean this. We mean this passionately yeah. like from a very like unbiased just if we're going to look at this thing yes. and say what is this thing? What is this thing that I'm holding in my hand right now that's got leather wrapped around it and there's a lot of pages that are really thin and index. Yeah, yeah. all this kind of stuff. There's maps. Yeah. I like the ones with maps. Okay. So, <laughs> what is this thing? Well, firstly, it's not a book. It's not a book. What do we mean by that? <laughs> well, the Bible, and this is not, uh, I, I know you said provocative, but it, it's, this is not a secret. If you, if you look, <laughs> if you look and, 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 and do a little bit of research, it's not, it's a, uh, it's a collection of writings. Right. Uh, that were written over hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes. Uh, that have been around for thousands of years. Lots of different authors. That in the beginning were not comprised of one book. Right. 
So it's uh, there are many multitude of different uh, genres. Uh, genres. Yeah. Uh, there's poetry. There mm-hmm. are hymns. Um, you know, there there are wisdom uh, literature, which is yeah. really cool. My favorite, the Book of Job, that everybody yeah. just goes. <laughs> it's like a Genealogy. wisdom literature opera Dude. mythological weird yeah. primordial mm-hmm. poem yeah it's super weird. it's amazing <laughs> so i mean there are there are all these different genres there are letters in there uh you know if you get into paul paul was writing letters to a lot of his the early christian communities so there's just a multitude of uh, a, a collection of of these different writings and uh, so it wasn't even nowhere in the Bible, by the way, uh, will you find a reference where it refers to itself as the Bible. Right. Um, in the early days, it was actually referred to as the scriptures. Right. Bible plural. just means like biblios. It just means books. Yeah. Like, that's what it means. Yeah. Like bibliography. Biblio- bib- <laughs> biblios. Biblos. Yeah. Bib- I haven't been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are sponsored by Lacroix. By the way. <laughs> oh, but, but um, it's not a book. It's right. not one. Bo- it's a collection of writings, genres, multiple different mm-hmm. ethnicities, multiple different cultures, multiple different time periods, multiple different authors. Uh, went through different forms of editing. There are actually different versions. Wait a minute. You mean the, the getting, old King James I'm, I'm, isn't the... It, well, hmm. the King James did fall from heaven. That's true. <laughs> after <laughs> the Bible was put together. <laughs> right. No, it, I love the King James. And let me just say this too. I'm that was being, my first. Yeah. I'm being lighthearted and tongue-in-cheek because we want to just put everybody at ease a little bit. But let me just say seriously for one second, I absolutely love scripture. Oh, man. Like, I like I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, I'm a teaching pastor. Mm-hmm. I adore it. I re- I've read through it more times than I can count. I love yeah. the Bible. This is not about me making fun of it or, mm. or, or pulling it apart or anything like that. Right. I just get really sick of like people treating it like something it's not. Right. And that it, goes for both ends of the of the spectrum. Um and so, you know, that's one of the things we're going to get into. And um, but I think it's important to know. I think when we're talking about the history of the Bible, yes, I let's think, get into that a little bit. Yeah, and I think this is going to shed a lot of light, um, it, just in regards to even reading it. So it's important to note that yes, it was from, um, you know, uh, over it, written over you know many many years uh, by many different people. And the interesting thing that I didn't even know until I I really started digging into it is that we don't even know half of the authors. Nope. And when I was reading too, it was like I basically had to to start making piles of okay. So here are the foremost scholars uh, when it comes to you know Bible historical research, like respectable guys, right? And 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 these guys all seem to agree, you know, on on this one certain section of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, I feel fairly safe. About <laughs> that, you know, let's start there. Yeah, start on some firm ground. Weed out the one outsider. Right, who's right. Like, this is you know you know like. We'll, so, leave, we'll leave Esther in the book of James and, you know, yeah. some of these other weird so, things, you know, later. So, like, it, it was an interesting trip, to say the least, for, for me, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people out there, when you start really digging into this stuff and you're like, wait a minute. Like, you hear, like, little things like uh, the four Gospels right. that, we, that we know so well. Uh, we're not even given names until the second century. Right. So they weren't titled Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John no. until the second century. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> when wait, I read a paper, wait my a name's second. at the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. 
so it's like you know and and you also have to take in consideration that the uh, scriptures were all written in different languages as well so we're mm-hmm. dealing with greek latin hebrew so you know a lot of things went into you know interpreting uh the bible into you know modern day english or whatever language you happen to speak so yeah and wait what happens when you translate language john rut row because <laughs> i'll be honest like when we sit in church on a mm-hmm. sunday depending on you know when they say grab your bible we're going to go to this verse depending on what translation you have yeah completely changes the sentence structure mm-hmm. um you know uh they use different uh, uh translations uh, different adjectives um mm-hmm. and, it, and, and it changes I used the Salty the Singing Songbook Kids Bible <laughs> from 1985. <laughs> I, I have to I have to admit that I didn't know what that was until Jamie pulled up a video on Dude, YouTube. Dude, most of the people that are listening to this probably have no idea what yeah. that is, and I'm not unpacking it for them. Yeah, but it's embarrassingly great. <laughs> <laughs> Salty the Singing Songbook. Oh my gosh. Oh man. I was deprived of so many things apparently. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, translation matters mm-hmm. and there are so many translations. So let's also talk about beyond translations, even before there were any, you know, in English. Right, um, how many different languages even went in initially. Yeah. So you had various kinds of Hebrew. Yep. You had Greek. Latin, Aramaic, Aramaic. Yep, the original uh, language of Jesus. And there were different dialects and different mm-hmm. um, styles and, and lexical ranges even within those languages. So, so talk a little bit also about because I think this is also important to note that um, going back to the the origins of Christianity, the, the original Christian movement, the first mm-hmm. century Christians. Talk a little bit about um, the fact that. Uh, the average Joe just didn't have a copy of the Bible like we do now, right? I have like four copies of the Bible. Well, you mean because basement. Gutenberg wasn't born yet? Right. Go, yeah, talk about that. The printing so, press and how so the evolution... You know. the, the printing press back then was a class of people um, called scribes that mm-hmm. were essentially like the lawyers of the day and they were the working class, but they would be like white collar because it was good pay and right. um, ink was expensive, papyrus was expensive, and preserving those things was, I mean, that was like gold, yeah. Like for anyone to be able to write. So who had copies of this back then? Not many people, man. So the would you say like the, the wealthy, the elite, you know? Absolutely. The wealthy, the elite. You know, you would have, you know, in Judaism, you'd have synagogues mm-hmm. for regions. You may not even have a complete set of scrolls for each synagogue. Whoa. I mean, it's like this stuff was tough, tough, tough to come by. Yeah. Tough to come by. And on top of that... A lot of it started off as oral tradition. Yes, go into that. That's what I was going to say. So most scholars across the spectrum believe that, I mean, the people of Israel, I mean, for crying out loud, they were in Egypt for how many hundred years before they came out? Mm -hmm. And then Moses may have started writing some of the first parts of the Bible. Right. That's thousands of years later. (laughs) So... You know, one of the cool things I love about, and, you know, we're going to get into some of this later, but the first chapter in the first book that they put as the first book of the Bible, Genesis, even though it's probably supposed to be Job, we can get into that later. (laughs) Um, Genesis starts off as this really simple, repetitive, beautiful, rhythmic, almost song. Yeah. Because, and you know who nailed it? Darren Aronofsky 
nailed this in the movie Noah. Whatever you think about that movie, he he tells the story and retells the story and retells the story to his friends and to his family, just as his father did and his father's father did and his yes. father's father's father did, because they were passing down not just information, yeah. they were passing down identity. They right. were passing down who they believed they were and how they saw the world. And that he would say, in the beginning, yes, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. In, you know, and then the first day, bam, and the second day, bam, and there's this rhythm, and it was good, and this happened, and this happened, and it was good, and this multiplied after its own kind, and this, and it was good, and there's this, and it was evening, and it was morning, and there's this repetitive, rhythmic, like, oh my gosh, I think this was built to be memorized. Yeah. So you could pass it down because nobody wrote that stuff down for a really long time. And even into the rest of the Bible, if you get into some of, you know, like the kings or some mm -hmm. of the prophets, a lot of it was oral tradition that was later written down. So talk a little bit about the, I think there's a misconception um, in, in regards to oral tradition and the accuracy of being able to pass, I mean, we look at the Bible as a whole now, right? So we see this right. huge, massive text right. with a ton of detail in it. I mean, right. there's, there's a lot of detail in the Bible. But I think a lot of people have, um, you know, especially people who are really skeptical of Scripture. And that's okay. You're, you should be, and you're allowed to be skeptical. Please be skeptical of Scripture. Especially because this thing is the foundation of, of a religion. It's you know? super dangerous if you're not skeptical of it. Right. I mean, I think there's enough evidence in the news on CNN right now. Oh, man. Of how dangerous, quote, holy literature can be. Yeah. If we don't exercise extreme caution Oh, absolutely. And skepticism, responsible skepticism. Absolutely. So talk about, because, you know, this is something I really like. I'm always going to history nerd out, you know. Do it. That's my background. So nerd out. Talk a little bit about why we should not be concerned about the fact that, because that, a lot of things, all right, so I'm always going to think of <laughs> our, our non-religious folks out there, our friends out there who, yeah. our brothers and sisters who are like, all right, all right, wait a minute. So... Because one of the biggest things that always comes up yeah. is you mean to tell me, especially when it comes to the New Testament, that nothing was written down for 35 years after Christ died. Right. So how accurate can this be? We know, like, <laughs> if I had to write something down from what I, from, from it's like back the telephone. in high school. It's like the telephone yeah. game, right? It's like how many times can you tell a story before it gets completely jacked up? Right. Or like having to recount something that happened to me 20 years ago right. would be incredibly hard. Well, a couple things on that. And this is, you know, this is one perspective. Okay, um, that I think has got some validity, but you know, there's a lot of different answers on this, and you know, I would in always encourage people to go out and read. But this whole like, well, it was written down so long later, how can we trust it? Right. That is itself built on a presupposition that we need to have accurate fact reporting and accurate details Ooh. in order to take anything away from what, that. what was told. So, for example, if we are in a medical institution. And somebody needs me to tell them the exact way to go about a medical procedure. Mm. And I don't write any of it down. But I tell a nurse who's supposed to tell a nurse who a week later tells another nurse. And eventually it get, gets back to the person. How trustworthy is that medical procedure going to be? Like, right. would you want to go under the knife if that's how that information was communicated? If your life depends... <laughs> 
depended Mm-mm. on that information being accurate. And that's how I think a lot of people look at scripture. It's like, look, how many times was this told and retold and interpreted and reinterpreted right. until it is just not even coherent anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to stake my life on something that went through that many filters of language and people and person and time and right. written down and not written down and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fair enough. But yeah. hang on a second. That's in itself assuming that the facts and the details are what are important. Right. Let's pose another scenario. What if I told you, here's my grandmother, and I love her dearly, and she has terminal cancer, and we've had a great life together, and we have an incredible relationship, and I really don't want her to die. And this terminal cancer is eating away at her organs and it's, you know, taking away her capacity to think. And she's literally just deteriorating moment by moment. Every time I visit her, it gets worse and worse. And then one day, praying for her, she completely recovered. And she was like new again. Yeah. How many times could that story be told without it losing the potency of what it was supposed to communicate. Oh, yeah. Now yeah. the details of my language don't really matter anymore because the right. soul of the message is so unbelievable. Yeah. It's so amazing and it's so emotional and visceral and raw that something happened. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. I don't even know what the details are. But, it, you know, this is this is the best I can do with my language. Yeah. Here it is. And then it gets passed around all over the place. But you still have the soul of what it is. Yeah. So to be honest, a lot of people out there, when they're asked, you know, well, what about all this interpreting and reinterpreting? Mm-hmm. Well, if the message is that something that was broken is now being restored. Mm-hmm that there's a cancer that has been dealt with and that's the point i don't really care yeah about the rest of it to be honest i mean it's a it's a fun fruitful venture to yeah. like continue to get into it but the li- the little details uh take on i think a little less weight at that point right exactly and i think and then and i think um we'll get into this a little bit more later uh but in in regards to um, metaphor contained within scriptures, mm. um, the, the use of hyperbole by people of that period of time. Genre. And, and you yeah. know what? That's a great point, too. Um, in, in two episodes, Dr. Shia is going to be on, Alexander oh, Shia. Oh, man. <laughs> Good old Alexander. He's he's a sweetheart. Oh, man. my gosh, what man. A, what, a, what a kind dude. You like, guys are going to love him. Yeah. And one of the things that he points out is, as, a, as an expert and a scholar is that in um, Semitic culture, they were not worried about communicating facts in the way that we are now. Right. So I heard him once say that, you know, if a beggar got robbed on the street and, you know, somebody took his last dollar mm-hmm. and he was communicating that story to a fellow beggar, he'd be like, can you believe that? You know, son of a bee just stole my last dollar. <laughs> and that would make sense to that person. But right. if that beggar was trying to tell a magistrate or you know a town official what right. had happened he would say that that person stole ten thousand dollars from him right not to lie right. but to communicate the intensity of the meaning to him yeah and that was just something that that culture just kind of did yeah so we come at it from this you know scholarly academic post-enlightenment western modern empirical 
I don't know how many more <laughs> things yeah. I can tack on to that. Yeah. And we want the details and we want to put them under a microscope right. and we want to measure them. And if there's any cracks, mm-hmm. if there's any inconsistencies, we want to just throw the whole thing out. Right. And I just want to tell people to just, can we chill? Yeah. Can we just chill? Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> Let's just chill. Let's just chill a little bit. <laughs> this is our pregame talk, by the way. Yeah, like, yeah. When we're, <laughs> when we're discussing what we're about to talk let's about, just, let's, let's just, just chill. chill. Just a little. Can bit. we just chill a little bit with the whole Bible thing? Let's just chill. Everybody yeah. chill. We're gonna, but we're we're definitely gonna talk about some of these things too. And and I think, um, I, I think it's been really freeing for me to kind of let go of some of those little things. You know, some of those uh, points, sticking points, as you call them. I think it it makes it a little easier for me to. Um, to kind of let go of some of those things. Yeah, I mean, because what was your background a little bit like? Were you, were you raised like, you know, it's all or nothing? Uh, kind of weird. I don't know. I, I was born and raised ELCA Lutheran. Mm-hmm. So for any ELCA Lutherans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Well, what? <laughs> um, and they were a little bit more of the, they're the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Mm-hmm. So they're a little more on the, I would say, I guess for lack of a better term, liberal side. Mm-hmm. So it was never this like, I didn't get the fire and brimstone. Yeah. But at the same time, there it's definitely a little bit more uh, structured mm-hmm. than, and I, I, at times maybe stuffy. I gotcha. Don't know. Mine, mine was fair. mine was pretty much all or nothing. Yeah. No, for real. I mean, it really, really was. It was like all or nothing. Yeah. And if you started to ask questions, like one of my favorite was, you know, so okay, if Adam and Eve, let's just get into some funny stuff for a okay. second. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's let's loosen this up a little. So yeah. if Adam and Eve are the first people. <laughs> in the world and there's no evolution yeah and they're just you know they were yet formed out of some clay and then his rib got plucked out and eve got made and all that kind of stuff yeah and that's great and they're the first people and they've got they have some kids right mm-hmm. and we know that one of their kids named cain did some bad stuff killed his brother shouldn't do that and then he says and i remember asking my parents this in the cross-eyed look that they gave me so in in scripture it says and cain had to flee to other cities and God put a mark on him so yeah. that people wouldn't kill him if they found him. Right. What people? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> you know what my you Wait, know where my brain went with that? And and who are their wives Th- at this That's point? where my brain went. What the heck is going on? I'm like, if it only started with two people. Wait a second. Somebody's hooking up with somebody's sister. Dude, I'm not okay with that. Like some some like really, really <laughs> first hand yeah. like uh incest here. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, okay, let's just not go there. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, there's some wacky stuff if you have to take it super literal. And there's a lot of contradictions. I mean, Genesis 1 contradicts Genesis chapter 2. Go on. Well, I mean, okay, so there's a <laughs> flow and a rhythm in Genesis chapter 1 that this happened first, this happened second, this happened third, this happened fourth. And I'm not going to give it away because our, our goal in this is that you guys crack it open and read for yourself. But compare right. Genesis chapter 1 and how everything went down. Make yourself a little list and then mm-hmm. go into Genesis chapter 2. And there's a second creation account <gasps> what? with an absolutely different literary feel, mm-hmm. probably written by somebody else. Yeah, we can almost safely say that because... Oh, it's just point, completely different. If, if Moses is the author, at one point he refers to himself and his own death. So mm-hmm. I think we can... Yeah, we and, can, the, and <laughs> then I died. And then I died. <laughs> and, but I was a very humble man, I think he says yes, at one point. Yes, yes. Which is not a very humble thing to say about yourself. Right. Right? So there's like these... Like, it's not... Okay, so like, if the people putting the Bible together and then... You know, they had synagogues and they had Talmud and they had Midrash and they had all of these people that were memorizing it and yeah. wrestling with it. They weren't idiots. Right. 
They know that there are contradictions. They know that there are things that look paradoxical. They know mm -hmm. that there are things that conflict, and right. they're not trying to hide it because to them, it wasn't a problem. And I think the other important thing to note is also that if you, if you look at the uh, historical background of the early Christians, they weren't Christians. They were Jews. Right. And so part of um, your upbringing was you as a young child— you would basically study to become the next rabbi. Right. And so part of that training from very early on was to memorize these long sections of, you know, the Pentateuch and uh, all those fun words. And yeah, that's basically just that. the, 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 the first five uh, books of, of the Old Testament, which right. is, you know. Um, and so you would, you would start your training very early on, and then at some point they would decide whether or not you had, I guess, the, uh, the mental fortitude, uh, to continue on and uh, the tradition of becoming the next rabbi. If you didn't, then you would go back and learn a new trade. Right. So this was a very stringent uh, education that that it was the glory of every family to have somebody go and be a rabbi and be a rabbi. Yeah. So I think to go along with what you were talking about, like oral tradition, um, it, it it was not only commonplace. This was something that happened. Frequently, it was ingrained in the culture, but uh, along with that, I mean, everyone, it wasn't, you know, there weren't a multitude of jobs at mm. this point. Like, every family uh, who who had sons, essentially, at that mm. point, were vying to become the next rabbi. It's, it's what everything was predicated on. Yep. Everything. It informed every nook and cranny of these people's lives to the point now that, you know, I mean... There is a real, you know, Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who was an Oxford Don and scholar and uh, literary critic mm -hmm. of Renaissance literature and an author and just an absolute intellectual badass. Yeah. Amazing guy. I don't care who you are. You read Lewis and you'll just get your mind blown into. And he would always say, you know, one of the things about Western enlightened Europeans and Americans is we practice what he called uh, reverse chronological snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning we think that we are intellectually much more well endowed than all of the human beings that have ever come before us. And he would always go on and on about this. And he would say, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's great, isn't it? Because it's so true. Yeah. He would say, if you tested the IQ of some of these people back then, it would be about the same as yours, if not more. Yeah. It's not like there were these superstitious people, you know, living in Harry Potter land, you know, thinking that there's weird stuff going on and not ever criticizing it. They were, they were living in the same physical world that we are. And yes, they had different beliefs and different superstitions, but they weren't morons. Right. And so it, now these people that are just as smart as you and me who have been steeped in scripture at culturally you know, familially their entire lives are okay with a lot of the things going on that we as people that never read scripture know almost nothing about it crack open the bible or god forbid watch a show on the discovery channel or the history network Ugh. and we start to think that like oh well god freaking Look, yeah, yeah. Look at look at all those holes. Shoot, I mean, it's like give. Okay, T chill. Yeah, can we can we just chill? First of all, <laughs> as a history nerd, I would just like to say the History Channel to history is now uh, become. You're what, dead to me. What 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 music what music is to MTV now? You know what I'm right, saying? Like, right, right. Not a whole lot of music happening. But on like that we we need to chill a little bit. Yeah. Yep. 
So I, I think uh, to kind of go back and uh, to kind of wrap up kind of um, our background on it. So yeah, origins. Yeah, hit, hit a couple more things on Bible origins. And again, this is going to be very high overview. Um, we're going to recommend, kind of like we did in one of our first episodes, we're going to recommend some some great books to dive into. Yes. Various perspectives. We will do a recommended reading when the series is over. Oh, absolutely. And I just got my Sailhammer book this week. Oh, John Sailhammer. So excited. Um, so we'll go into that too. But um, so again... Just to kind of review what we we mentioned at the beginning, that the Bible and you know the Bible as it was uh, kind of uh, starting to form and, and be put together originally, you know, uh, various priests and uh, rabbis would have their favorite favorite collection of of these scriptures, but they weren't found in a bound book and, until much later. And you had to be very very wealthy, like Adam said. Papyrus uh, was very expensive. Um, you had to be wealthy. You also had to speak a litany of languages: Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Aramaic. And so it wasn't until around the Reformation, the invention of Gutenberg's printing press, right, and then the translation into common language like German and, and eventually English. Thank you, Wycliffe. Yeah. Um, but suddenly, the common man could get a copy of the Bible. You go from this very intellectual elite kind of right. translating Bible for you right? to the common everyman being able to have access to Scripture, which is both great and can be dangerous, right? It can be problematic, absolutely. So where we have, uh, you know, the Reformation is doing this this solid favor of getting the Bible out there to people who had never had an opportunity to, to have a copy, it also influenced society in the way that there was a strong, a huge amount of uh, illiteracy mm. in society. So it also generated this giant drive for uh, right. literacy. because everybody wanted to read the Bible. Man, can you imagine having to learn a language just to read a book? Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of power that, that Scripture had, right? I'm so, way too lazy for that, man. I can barely speak English half Seriously. <laughs> Google's going to translate everything for us anyway. Heck yeah. So... So then, you know, we kind of move into the uh, later centuries, and Christianity's been around for a little bit. So I think one of the interesting interesting things is, um, and, and we're going to bring this up a lot just because we are in North America, and uh, we, we do deal with a very Western view of Scripture. Can't help it. So there's this thing called inerrancy, right? Uh. Yeah. Bible inerrancy. Now, which nobody really knows what that means. No. And even a lot of people think that, okay, a lot of people think they know what that means. That's true. And it's very important to them and that's fine. We're not here to screw with you on that, but there's a lot of discrepancy on what that means. Yeah. And And why is that important? Let's talk a little bit about, so we've got this, this word inerrancy, (laughs) which, you know, is just a fancy word for infallibility that, you know, that in some way, shape or with some kind of intention, the Bible has no mistakes. Right. The Bible has no errors. But then we have to define what that means. And, and that becomes very quickly oh problematic. Oh, man. Right? Dude. Yeah. You are in... Yeah. So, I mean, even... All right. So, like, let's just take, for example, science. And, and, and wherever you stand on science, we happen to love it. That's fine if you don't, you know, um, it, it, scientific advancements and, and that sort of thing. But if yeah. you even look at the science contained within the scriptures, and there is some... You know the Bible references Earth as being flat, right? And most people, I would I would assume at this point in the game would uh, would say that's probably not true. <laughs> you know, the the Earth is very much round. It's not the center of even our solar system. Much I'm just the galaxy. picturing some guy somewhere just fell out of his chair. 
Wait, what? Some guys <laughs> is like <laughs> listening to the podcast. This is why I don't travel, man. I'm going to fall <laughs> off the end of the world. You know, but, but yeah, so the Bible has got some like what might come across as scientific claims. Right. And, you know, up until the advent of modern science. Right. That was never problematic. Right. But I think that we all know what happened to guys like Galileo mm-hmm. and Copernicus and some of these others that started to actually observe the created world or whatever you think it is mm-hmm. and go, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe we're moving around the sun. Yeah. It's like, shut up, dude. <laughs> shut up, dude. No, you didn't. No, you did not. <laughs> you and, did not. And it's really sad. But you know what? I get it. Because when you don't understand your foundation and you mm-hmm. don't create any space to wrestle with it right, or struggle with it, and you think it is what's holding everything up, mm-hmm. that creates a lot of fear. Right. And you really do start to think that everything is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that's, you know, to throw an homage to our, you know, our grandfather that we stole the word from to Derrida. Yeah. You know, he was all about going into the systems that we look at as fundamental to life, religion, education, right, government, mm-hmm. and saying we cannot be afraid to right. question these things. Right. Can't. Otherwise, you've got totalitarianism. You, you've, you're essentially functionally fascist. That's fair. I mean, yeah. That's you're you're fear-mongering. Yeah. You're saying, yeah, the Bible says priesthood of all believers, meaning you can interpret the Bible mm-hmm. yourself. You don't need the pope. And that kind of sparked the reformation, but then at the same time, out of the other side of their mouth, they're like, you can interpret it, but don't question it. Right. It's like, what? What? Yeah. How wh- How <laughs> I <laughs> did Wait a minute. <laughs> well, and then and then the other oh, sure, I can do that. Wait, wh- what? But then the other issue becomes: you can interpret it, but don't look at the historical context in which the original writings were were written. Yeah, what we right? mean by "you can interpret it" is we'll interpret it for you still. Right. So I think this is a great way to segue into um, that fancy term that we threw out there earlier: hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Drop it. Oh, what is that? I I gotta know. Man. <laughs> Hermeneutics. So the art of interpretation and it doesn't it's usually used around and about the Bible, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. It's uh it's it's a skill, it's an art, it's a discipline that can be used for lots of things, you know. Before hermeneutics there's something called uh exegesis. Oh, another fancy ten dollar word. And all you know, all exegesis really <laughs> is is a discipline. It's seeking to understand what the original author mm-hmm. meant to convey to the original audience by paying attention to, you know, what's what some of the literary and historical contexts and devices that are used. So okay. you've got a literary context, and you know, if everybody probably had some English upbringing or you know literary upbringing. Um, education at some point. So you know that you read poetry different than you read history. You ask poetry different questions than you ask history. Right. And then there's like a historical context. So what influences did the the history of that age, the, the culture of that age have on the understandings of the matters alluded to in, in the text in question? 
And so that's how you start to get uh, your exegesis, which exegesis means out of, ex, exit, um, means, you know, to pull meaning out of the text. And the opposite of that, uh, which will freak a lot of Bible scholars out, is when people start to practice eisegesis, which is to read meaning that you want, your agenda, okay. your bias, your agenda. So I want something to be true. So, you know, if I'm, you know, uh, the KKK, for example, and I want white supremacy to be true, mm-hmm. I can eisegesis that into some texts somewhere and really oppress and hurt a lot of people. And go to church on Sunday. Yep. That's eisegesis. That's not doing good homework. Right. That's not doing good, yeah, study. Yeah. So the the exegesis gets you to the place where you can start to do hermeneutics. And it doesn't matter what terms you use. Essentially, you're just trying to be a little bit responsible or at least spend some time with some people that are willing to be a little bit responsible. Read some books by some authors that were trying to be a little bit responsible. Yeah. When you're reading an ancient collection of writings from various genres in various places written by various people in various times. Like, listen, the Bible's intimidating to a lot of people because it's freaking intimidating. Yeah. It's so intimidating. What does N.T. Wright say about, um, because I, I love what he says about ancient history. Because mm. there's a difference from a you know my again my background is <laughs> like fit in the back of a pickup history. Truck. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He uh, I think he says like one bookshelf. He's oh he, right, like so, everything we know. Yeah, yeah. So so there's a huge difference, by the way, in 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 studying ancient history versus history. You yeah, know? like the so, Civil War. Yeah, N.T. Wright. I think that was his example. That uh, N.T. Wright said, you know, his son is a historian, and so he says, you know, my son is studying these battles that occurred in France. During like the 1800s, right, and he has almost like library opposite problem. Yeah, yeah, too much information right. versus what we know about the historical Jesus, which he said I can fit on one bookshelf. Right, so it's it becomes a much different process in the way that you deal with that ancient history versus you know history where there are multitudes of, of resources. Right, and we're not so. saying this to you know scare people off from from reading the Bible, but like no. Uh, you handle it differently, though, yes? Everybody just needs to chill and be yeah. a little bit more patient and yeah. do a little bit more homework. and It's going to take some work. Not rush to lots of dogmatic doctrinal assertions without chilling out a little bit first and yeah. actually realizing that there's a lot of work that goes into this. And if yeah. you want to like actually be responsible, be aware, be authentic, mm-hmm. deconstruct... Here are some tools that you can use. And that, you know, that first one, exegesis, trying to pull meaning out, literary context, historical context. The next thing is this word called hermeneutics. So as today's audience, like if we're the audience or the people that are encountering this text, we build upon the insights of what we find in that exegetical work. So by looking at the literary context and the historical context, we build on that in order to then try to understand what might have been said. And then apply meaning to ourselves out of what we found was there back then. Beautiful. And so many people skip those steps, and yeah. that's why we get into all of this trouble. Yeah, we miss these deeper truths and deeper meanings that we're uh, attempting to be conveyed in Scripture by just this very surface level right. reading of it. Yeah, and 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 like it makes it, uh, unfortunately, it makes it not more clear. It actually makes it less clear. Absolutely. Because it is really easy to get a group of people, start an institution, start a movement, start a denomination Mm. where everybody's agreed on these positions before you actually start doing any homework, before you actually start wrestling with anything yourself at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, 
I don't know if I, I don't know if I think that it actually says that. Right. But I'm in a church or a movement or an organization where everybody's already locked in. Right. Everybody's already group thinking their faces off. Oh, man. And now I've got to make a decision. Am I going to talk about this? Yeah. Am I going to actually say like, man, I don't know about some of this stuff. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm wrestling with some of this stuff. And I know you guys have your catechisms and I know you have your statements of faith. And I'm not here to blow any of that up. But like, if you want me to engage this authentically... I'm doing some homework here and I'm coming to some different conclusions on some of the early stuff before we even start applying it. Yeah. Which changes things. Right. Yeah. It's messy. And I think, I think you brought up a really important point and I, I ran into this. Um, I was reading, um, just finished a book called really great book called reading the Bible again for the first time. Borg. By Marcus Borg, um, who I've really grown to, to, to really enjoy. Um, Again, I think, you know, he's not an author. I think I would have probably naturally gravitated towards originally. Mm. Uh, but just trying to do myself a favor and reading some, some, some different stuff. Um, he makes mention of the fact that we need to be careful that we're not reading Scripture through our own kind of lens. Right, our bias. So he always used to tell his students, I thought this was great. He's like, look, he's like, we need to be careful uh, to, to listen to what the text is saying to us and not simply absorbing the text into what we already think. Whoa. See, that's what I'm saying, dude. Yeah. That's the bias. That's the confirmation bias. Right. And if you're not aware of that mm-hmm. or your systemic bias, which would be your organization or your movement or your denomination or your family, if you're not aware of those things before you get to actually digging into this stuff with an open mind mm-hmm. and with some patience and grace, <sighs> Yeah. Then, then you know, you're not doing yourself or anybody else any favors because you might as well just say, yeah, whatever he thinks. Yeah. I'll just continue to believe by proxy. Mm-hmm. I'll just continue to let so and so believe for me. So let's talk. I love that, man. Let's talk about uh, literalism a little bit. Let's close that one up, and then Ooh. let's get into some metaphor. Okay. And then that'll just segue us right into uh, Bible time verses. Okay. So literalism, by the way, like this literal interpretation. Uh, interpretation for some odd reason really hard to say um of the bible oral is... oralism <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's late it's been a long week um, <laughs> yeah but um what yeah what do you mean by that like um identify kind of you know what that is so basically it is this this way of 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 reading the bible that is predominantly western um and and american european yeah that kind of thing yeah um I would say probably historically more American than anything. Mm. And it's this, this view of scripture is hundred uh, percent accurate and we need to take everything it says literally. Mm. Um, and a lot of people think that this is just the way that the Bible is always. Well, John, what's wrong, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying the Bible is, <laughs> you know, a hundred percent accurate. I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. We, we go back to, again, going back to the, kind of the science that we see within scripture sure um that becomes very problematic as we realize that it there are some inaccuracies there right right so or maybe some of the places where the bible seems to contradict itself right like for example i think one of the most glaring ones that i hear a lot is all of the different accounts in the gospels yes that don't agree yeah the gospels don't line up specifically some of the really important ones like the resurrection right like there's some if you just compare them which again do the homework yourself 
Or the way that they Judas dies? Yeah, they don't. Yeah, exactly. They don't. It's like that should have been an easy one. Yeah. Like, what happened? I mean, <laughs> did he hang himself? Did he jump did, off a cliff? Yeah, or? what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and it's funny too because the other thing that they mentioned too, I was reading this recently, is that uh, the accounts of um, Jesus overturning the tables mm. in the temple yeah. uh, occurs right before his death in the three of the gospels and then in john it's at the beginning of right. his public life right because john wasn't written chronologically right we think which raises a whole nother host of questions why would you write a biography that's not chronological right. well how do you know it's a biography true Ugh. it's those kinds of questions that 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 statement of the bible is a hundred percent accurate right well there is a whole range of what we could possibly mean by that. Because again, going back to the medical procedure mm-hmm. information being relayed versus a story of a miracle about somebody very dear and close to you. Right. What is trying to be communicated really tells us what we mean. Right. When we say 100% accurate or we start to use words like inerrant or one of the really scary ones mm-hmm. that we can talk about just a little bit. When we start to talk about authoritative, yes, which makes people really, really nervous, right? So, I think you know, especially to Jermaine, to what's happening today with you know the outrage and just the atrocities being committed to like LGBTQ communities, people irresponsibly wielding scripture mm-hmm. without doing any homework, without doing any wanting to listen to anybody around them. Mm-hmm. And just using this, this is the authority, right? Like a bat or a hammer or a gun, right? That's where people get really, really turned off with this scripture thing, right? And I think what I want to say is, you don't have to choose between whether you say the Bible is accurate and authoritative, and is there flexibility in what it's saying and how it's saying it. Oh, exactly. You don't have to choose. It's not one or the other. Right. It is something that you struggle with. Oh, good segue. It is. <laughs> and it's just it's just not fair. It's too right. old. It's too right. difficult to tell exactly what's going on. And can we just chill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chill. And by the way, this, this whole literalism uh, kind of movement... Um, is, is actually a lot of people assume that that's the way we've always read scripture, but that's right. not true. That's, no, it's not. It's actually fairly new within the nineteenth oh, and twentieth century. Very, very, very new. Right. Like, I would say less than. Oh man, if you want to go back into like Judeo-Christian, like Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. reading of scriptures, we're talking probably less than two to five percent of the entire time these documents have been looked at. Have yeah. they been looked at under this literal? Right, staunch reading mm-hmm. that you know more of the conservative churches nowadays are really freaking out about losing. Right, that's a brand new thing. Oh man, let's talk you about didn't, metaphor. You didn't inherit that from your <laughs> tradition. No, you inherited that from basically a, a war against what was happening in the divide against the sacred part of culture, the Christianized part of culture in the West, yeah. in America, and Europe. Mm-hmm. And what essentially got the lid blown off of it by science and philosophy through guys like Darwin and T.H. Huxley and yeah. some of the existential philosophers. And I mean, I'll never forget hearing uh, somebody teach on this once the Scopes Monkey Trial of you know the 1920s. Yeah. And 
you know, are we going to teach evolution in the, in the schools? Oh, yeah. Right? So you've got this trial in, in Tennessee. I think it's Clarence Darrow. And I'm spacing on my history a little bit here. But <laughs> essentially, like, the school overturned it. And they didn't teach evolution at that time. Mm-hmm. And the monkey trial, you know, the they won. And evolution was overturned. But at the same time, there was this divide that started. Mm-hmm. And there was a reaction against it's like oh we're gonna take our ball and go home then right we're gonna like we're gonna do our thing over here because obviously you know culture doesn't want to hear about the bible or church or anything else and this overreaction to holding on too tightly to things that were now starting to be questioned by microscopes yeah and telescopes and science yeah and carbon dating yeah and some some of these sort of you know empirically provable mathematical ways of seeing the world which look again there's lots of ways to interpret it but there is now a problem and people have been holding on in the very recent history to something that probably should have been held a lot looser and it's a new problem yeah like, St. Augustine was not wrestling with this. No. Thomas Aquinas was not wrestling with this. Francis of Assisi was not wrestling with this. They didn't care. Yeah. If you would have gone up to them and says, well, hey, do you think that it literally means this? They would have been like, what are you asking me right now? <laughs> yeah. You're missing the point. Why are you? Wh- <laughs> what? Yeah. What are you asking? What What do you mean? Mm-hmm. What? What? Why do you need to know that? So... What are some other ways of kind of uh, translate or not even translating, but interpreting scripture in a way that kind of maybe um, is not common these days, and maybe unlock some of the deeper truths and the and the the messages that the authors are trying to convey? Hmm. Because I think I think the important thing to note also is that this is a a human and divine product, right? Right. So let's talk about that just a little bit too, because yeah. I think um, let's start there. If we're gonna if we're gonna talk about interpretation. Um, yeah, one of, you know, my favorite gurus on interpretation is somebody that I think sits pretty close to the middle, but he's just got a good head on his shoulders and Mm -hmm. he's responsible. And, uh, it's, you know, Walter Brueggemann. Yeah. So good. If you want to pick up a book that will hug you and frustrate you at the same time, and it's about 80 pages, it's his little, uh, work of, you know, a couple essays called struggling with scripture. Yeah. Him and a couple of his friends. And in that he essentially says, look, when you start to do the homework, And you start to look exegetically and Mm -hmm. hermeneutically at some of these passages. Then you have to start to interpret. Right. You do. And you are going to have a vested self-interest. Right. In how and what you interpret. Right. That all interpretation is shot through with a vested self-interest. And if, you, if you're not aware of that, of right. where you're coming from and why you want this thing to mean this or that, right? if you're not aware that you've got those biases, you're blind. Right, right. And so to talk a little bit about something that's you know a really big deal, people get in trouble with words like inerrancy and authority because like this is a book that, or a collection of books, a library, the Bible, a collection that is both divine and human. Yes, just like people have always had trouble talking about the paradox of this guy, Jesus, mm-hmm. that is divine, completely divine, mm-hmm. according to Christian tradition, right, and completely human. You can't reconcile those. 
Right. It's not possible intellectually to reconcile those. It's a mystery, mm-hmm. and you're never going to get it completely right. Right. You've got to hold it with re- the reverence that it deserves of mystery if you're going to take it for what it says it is. So if Jesus mm-hmm. says, this is who I am, and if all the witnesses around Jesus says, that's you know who he claims to be, right? then it's unfair mm-hmm. for you to go back and say, well, I'm just going to take the human aspect, you know, like Thomas Jefferson did, and cut out all right. the cut out all the supernatural stuff out of the out of the <laughs> yeah. Bible, and that's how you get the Jefferson Bible. Yeah, it's just not fair because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, then that's your wishful thinking, right, of how this is going to go, and that's one thing. That's fine, mm-hmm. but then a lot of other people go way to the other side and they go super divine, right, and it is flawless and inerrant. Yeah, but wait a second, then how do you reconcile the human? thing yeah. oh well they were you know it says in scripture that that you know these people were filled with the holy spirit and they were you know carried along and it was inspired and they, and so you, you almost have this i think Mackie says this in his interview too that we're going to release i think next <laughs> week where he talks about it's like oh okay so they're you know they're they've got their pen and their eyes are they're in this like seizure kind of state <laughs> yeah, and their eyes writing. are like rolling in the back of their head while they're <laughs> sort of like dictating and it's like listen if god wanted to write the bible god would have written the bible Right. He didn't need to like possess a body. <laughs> right. He didn't need to like possess Isaiah and Jeremiah and right. Peter and Mark and Paul and possess these men so they didn't have any humanity left in them. Yeah. He could have done that. Right. With the world's biggest Sharpie ever. It would have been amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> but he didn't do that. And so you've got this tension. Mm-hmm. And it's going to stay attention. Right. Spoiler alert. I mean, sorry. <laughs> it's going to stay attention. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. But I know that that is the thing that intrigues me the most. Right. And I, I think the thing that I enjoy, and I think the thing that that kind of almost made me like enjoy reading scripture more after I after I found this out. After I started noticing the the very human fingerprints that are that are left there intentionally, intentionally, they could have scrubbed that thing, man. Completely. Oh yeah, man. And made it the this mistakes book of magic. Yeah. The, yes. The embarrassing stories that that you know uh, somebody I was reading recently talked about the fact, and this is true from you know a, a historical standpoint that winners write the stories, right? Mm-hmm. The winners write the stories, and right. they generally are pretty one sided, right? But the Bible is like right. one of the only historical records or historical writings that leaves in all of the mistakes, all the embarrassing things. There's not one hero. Yeah. Everybody kind of sucks. Everybody <laughs> gets smeared. Yeah. Up until Jesus. Right. And I think that is absolutely fascinating. It's crazy. Like there are parts in the Bible where like Paul is very clearly frustrated. Oh, yeah. You know, like with, with the the, with the Jewish people of the time. Yep. And and it's this very human very human moment, you know, where he's just like, why don't you get it? You know, and, and for us to ignore that or deny that, I think almost takes away something. Or to act like we understand it. Yeah. To act like we get it, mm-hmm. that it's one or the other. Right. That it's literal or it's completely subjective, metaphorical, wishy-washy. Yeah. It's a lot more... It's yes and. Exactly. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's transcend and include. It's both and. It's, it's, it's literal and metaphorical. It's, you it's, don't get off that easy with this one. Right. Which is why it is so intoxicating to me. 
So do you do you read it literally? Do you read it metaphorically? Yes. 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 And so Which one is it? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Chill. It depends on which genre <laughs> and which which section of the Bible that you're reading. You yeah. Know? Um, I, I don't think that anybody believes that when Jesus said, uh, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that, you know, his disciples are taking a bite off his arm. Right. You know, but you uh, always do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not <laughs> getting the metaphor, man. <laughs> so I think um, uh, one of our one of our listeners uh, asked a really great question, and I think this would be a perfect time to clear it up. Let's do it. So when we talk about the metaphors contained within the Bible that mm. convey this just deeper sense of truth, what? In the world, do we mean by that? First of all, truer than true. And this is and this is going to sound like a cop out. Yeah, but it's not. We don't really know. It's hard to say what we mean because what we're saying, we're trying to use words to convey something that cannot be conveyed. Right. You know, like um, Meister Eckhart says, when you say God, you say less than God. Anytime you say yeah. God, you say less than God. When we are dealing with things. And, you know, this is not just about the divine in some ethereal, transcendent kind of it's way out there kind right. of way. No, we believe um, that everything is spiritual. Yeah. You know, everything. Mm. So when we talk about literal being the lowest form of meaning, mm-hmm. we're not saying it's not true and we're not belittling it. We're saying right. it's the ground. It's the ground floor and that there's mm-hmm. more. So how can explain, because something I think that we brought up or something that maybe I read, it's all blending together. I know. I can't tell. <laughs> but uh, um, talk about the fact that something can be can still be true without being factually true. Okay. So talk a little bit about that because I think when we talk about metaphor in a biblical sense, it's sure. different than kind of the um, modern interpretation of the word metaphor. Because the modern interpretation, obviously, most people say, oh, it's 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 a metaphor means it's not true, right? Right. It's a bunch of rubbish. Right. So, I got to be careful here because I don't want to lose I don't want to lose some listeners, so I'm I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be intentionally a- ambiguous because the goal is to invite them, you know, into the struggle. Yeah. So, let's just say that for the sake of this question, for the sake of argument, if we go back to something that uh people get very very upset and angry about, like mm. Adam and Eve, right, in the garden and mm. creation. Yeah. Now, one of the ways to look at that mm-hmm. is that it is an accurate, literal recording right. of what happened. Right. That is factual reporting. So what is inside those facts? Or how about this? Why were those facts recorded? Were they recorded so that we could have a scientific understanding of some of the first things that happened in the world? Or is it possible, especially based on what we know of when it was written and why it was written, is it possible that maybe this was written for a group of people who was being told for the first time who they were? Yes. Apart from some of the other people groups around them. The theological term for this is a polemic. So a polemic is... When you use a communicative tool or structure or device mm-hmm. in order to communicate something against something you know that somebody's believing that's not true. Right. So for the people around the ancient Near East, you know, the Hebrews, the first Hebrews that are coming out of places like Assyria and Babylon mm-hmm. and Egypt, 
all having creation stories that dealt with lots of different gods mm-hmm. and lots of different times that were at war with each other. Right. And these gods were ferocious and bloodthirsty and capricious and life was very chaotic and it was all about power and control and manipulation and not not valuing the land and not valuing the world but beating it into submission yeah. and using it for power then you've got this poem this oral history mm. that comes out like a shot in the dark that's in the beginning there wasn't war between gods and mm. people pulling each other apart and the blood dripping down and creating us i mean i think that's Enuma Elish, I think that's, you know, the, the god Marduk, you know, is in war with another god and tears and from the carcass of the other god, you know, the blood drips down and then he creates all the humans to serve him and, you know, it's, he's this really capricious, you know, can't make up his mind kind of god, this weird thing. And you have this, in the beginning, there was this point and purpose and rhythm and it has an invitation to it to take part in creation with God himself, that there's an imprint of the divine on all of us, not just on Pharaoh, that there is something about us that is big and transcendent and beautiful and that we have work to do and that music matters and that ecology matters and that politics matter and that all of this matters because there is point and there's structure and there's rhythm and there's beauty and there's Mm -hmm. harmony all within who we are and that poem although it doesn't say that literally right definitely says that yeah if you look at it in context Mm. and so i think that people that want to take everything literally that's fine Mm -hmm. but i would just say i think you're ripping yourself off i think there's not less but more to be had yeah now a caution that I would throw in there just from, you know, me nerding out on some of this stuff <laughs> is that there are things that I think do matter literally right. in scripture, that it's very clear that this is supposed to be taken literally yeah, just because of how it was written mm-hmm. and the way it was written. And we don't even need to get into that now. Right. But what I'm not saying is I'm not throwing a blanket over everything in that book. In fact, that's the opposite of what we're saying. We're saying right. take the blanket off and look at it and do do the detail work. It's fun. Yeah. It's great. It's it's an invitation. Um, but what I'm not saying is, yeah, it's all just one big metaphor, and you can right. just make it say whatever you want it to say, as long as you use flowery language and you know some great inflection and intonation <laughs> in your voice. Yeah, <laughs> totally not saying that. But I I'm saying it's way more complicated than that. And I think it's hugely important, though, that we do that. The that scriptures that we acknowledge the fact that scriptures do contain instances of metaphor because of the fact that when you're trying to describe the divine yes good luck man. yeah come on dude this this all omniscient powerful being who exists outside <laughs> of time and space like we don't have the words uh, to describe the divine right and so as richard Rohr would say he's like so that's why we have to use metaphor because when we talk about metaphor we say things like it's like mm-hmm. or you know it's absolutely it's, in, in, in in that same way it's it's kind of like if you go to this uh if you go to a really great concert like the first time you saw radiohead you know and 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 you're experiencing this just you know or or, or um cigarettes or something like that you know pick your band you know yes uh dc talk you know 
and and you're having this just mind-blowing experience where for 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 that moment you're standing in the crowd and you lose yourself gone and all time has disappeared mm. and you're just captured by the by just the the beauty and the power of the moment mm, the majesty yeah and and you leave that concert that night and you go home and mm. you're trying to tell your friends you're like oh my gosh man. it was like it was like it was mm. It was like this, or it was like that, or you know, I heard somebody say they the first time they saw you two, they came back and he was like, I, it's speechless. And I said, "What was it like?" He goes, "Man, it was like, it was like the greatest worship concert I've ever been." Oh to. man, he's like, "I felt like I met God." That Isn't night. that so cool? Yeah. When the new Sunlux album came out, mm-hmm. I called David, and uh, <laughs> uh, he was our audience of one. I think uh, episode number two, or you know, whatever. Anyway, yeah. he's got the Serpent and Dove project. Yeah. Um, good friend of mine and we love this group called Sunlux who we really want to get on the show and have them talk but that's neither here nor there and I called him after this album came out and I was like dude it was <laughs> it was like listening to like some new kind of rock jazz musician play MC Escher paintings yes and he was like I know exactly what you mean <laughs> <laughs> That is the best description. And I've ever it was heard. like this mind trip that yeah. was like mathematical and nonsense yeah. at the same time, and it was like perfect and uh. beautiful and frustrating. Yes. So there's more than literal. Yes. So that's what we mean. And and we'll we'll kind of wrap up this whole talk about metaphor. Just I have this great quote here from Drop it. the board book. But but I think it's important to say like let's just even if you don't agree with what we're saying right now. Just for a moment. Consider it. Consider it. Consider the fact that, that yes, there are things to be taken literally within Scripture. Absolutely. We have to, or else we lose meaning. But there are also moments that are absolutely meant to be taken metaphorically. Right. To try, it's, you know, it, because it's, it's it, they are human beings who wrote it, who are trying their best to say, this is the relationship that I have with God. Mm. And this is the only way That's that good. I can describe it to you. That's good. So here's here's the quote. A metaphorical approach to the Bible emphasizes metaphors and their associations. It emphasizes seeing, not mm. believing. Mm. The point is not to believe in a metaphor, but to see in light of it. Mm. That's so good, man. <laughs> One of the things that I, I used to get to go... My, my, my friend's a liter, literature teacher in a school in the area, and he would have me come in and do this talk once a year and I get to I got to teach high school college prep students oh that's cool how man. to look at the bible as literature oh nice and so I had this talk that I used to give and because I was talking to high schoolers that never wanted to hear about the bible I had to make this like fun and exciting and different and a little provocative yeah and I would talk about the difference between literal and metaphorical and genres and all these kinds of things and how you read different genres differently because mm-hmm. they're used for different things and I was like, you know, so let's say you're you're on that date, right? And you want to swoon this chick a little bit. Like yeah. You want you want to make her. <laughs> you want to make her want you a little bit. So clearly, the first thing you're gonna do is make her listen to the Deconstructionist podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, girl, you gotta check out this podcast. These, these two guys are pretty uh, pretty dope. So. But like, I would say like now you've got a couple options if you want to use like literary devices. If okay. you want to, if truth is the thing that's the most important to you, you could say, you know what? You have two eyes <laughs> and they're blue. Yeah. 
and you have blonde hair and you are about five eight mm-hmm. and you are fair complected and it's just like sterile and it's <laughs> facts and if you if you like wrote all that stuff down on a napkin and like folded it up yeah. and like slid it across the table and like looked her in the eye and she mm-hmm. like opened that napkin up and like read it she'd be like what <laughs> but if you memorized a shakespearean sonnet yeah and you said something more to the effect of had i this cheek to bathe my lips upon this touch whose only touch could force the feeler's soul into the oath of loyalty this object that's taken prisoner the wild motion of mine eye that means something more <laughs> and every dude would be like Dude, what was that poem again? Can I write that down? <laughs> let me, let me like, write that down. Wait, where do I find that? Like, <laughs> hey, hey, Mr. Weinhold, where? Yeah. Can can you write? Can make make sure to like write that down? <laughs> and it's like there's more ways to yeah. communicate than just fact. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah, that's good. So, so um, no better way to, to wrap that <laughs> section up, man. I think. I mean, just a quick note too. Just you know, I'm always you know I'm always going to bring the history nerd stuff. The other thing that I, I totally forgot to mention earlier is the fact that people in the day and age of Jesus um, were used to people speaking with a ton of hyperbole. Oh my gosh, yes. Because it was their effort to try to emphasize uh, a point. The heart of the meaning. So you see the Bible's chocked full of hyperbole. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so what do I mean by hyperbole? I mean like, you know, if I told Adam, dude, I got the flu last night, man, I think I threw up like a thousand times. Right. I don't literally mean I threw up a thousand <laughs> times. I'm, I'm using that as a uh, as a uh, a tool to emphasize. Who's the guy in Parks and Rec? Uh, Chris Chris Traeger that always <laughs> yeah. says lit- literally, literally. Uh, yeah, Rob Lowe's character. <laughs> yeah. Lit- I literally threw up a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I obviously didn't, but you know, I'm emphasizing yeah. the point that it was a lot. You know? Sure, and there's a lot of that in in Hebrew culture. One of the things that you see um, to em- to emphasize hyperbole is if they use like you know, if they were going to say like this gold was really precious, they would say it's gold gold. Or yeah. if this pit was really deep, they would say it's a really pity pit. Yeah. It's a pit pit. You know, they would, <laughs> they would like double and triple. So when the angels in Isaiah are flying around the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Yeah. They're saying words can't describe. Oh man, that's good. What we're looking at. Oh. But we have to use words. Yeah. And, and do the best we can. Right. That's what this is all about. And chill. Yeah, it's okay, guys. <laughs> it's okay. That is that going to be like the quote of, of the episode? Just chill, man. Deconstructing the Bible. Chill. Just chill. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously, like, there's a ton of stuff that we can't even get into tonight. But just uh, stay tuned for next week. Dr. Timothy Mackey from The Bible Project, if you haven't checked that out yet, please mm. do. It is incredible. They've done a series of uh, video animations. Oh, man. They and, are. Uh, they, look the like, they look like the uh, the Harry Potter yes. ma- Marauder's Map. Exactly. And they're amazing. So high I remember high when quality. I first sent this over to you, and I was just like, dude, I just stumbled across this. And not only is this guy a total <laughs> badass, yeah. but these little animated shorts so good. are so good i didn't even watch the video at first because i was like oh it's a sweet bible plan so i'm following along and adam's like hey man did you watch the video i didn't like, even know you're like no i didn't watch the stupid cartoon video yeah and then i was like dude you need to watch this video they're not like your typical church cartoons you know? oh they're incredible <laughs> the, the art 
and and mm. the and the the excellence. Yeah, they're so good. Doctor Timothy Mackey is this guy that you would think would work at a skate park. He yeah. looks like a pretty much almost like he worked for like Tony Hawk or something like that. And, Super cool looking, and just dude. so bright. Oh yeah, and so different. Wasn't raised fundamentalist, you know. Kind of found, you know, this this love of this ancient book through skateboarding. Uh, collection of books, yeah, through skateboarding, yeah. random series of coincidences, and is going to drop some knowledge on us. Oh man, he's so good. And then I, I think the perfect bookend to our series will be the week following. Uh, will be Dr. Alexander Shia. Oh man, um, he's been on Pete Holmes' podcast. He's been on uh, Rob Bell's podcast. He's been on a series of uh, uh, church podcasts and um, just kind of bringing this fresh perspective to the four gospels yes so i mean i think that's a good way to wrap it up um anything else you want to add before i am just i am so overwhelmed and humbled by how many people have decided to share in this journey with us yeah and open themselves up to different perspectives and thank you for supporting us however you 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 can and taking part in these conversations and you guys are in for such a treat. We have so many unbelievable guests. Mm. Uh, every time we've asked somebody if they want to come on and share and be a part of this thing, I mean, our calendar has booked up for the rest of the year. Yeah. It's yep. it's nuts. So enjoy. Yeah. Share it. You know, do whatever you need to do to get it out there because the more this conversation evolves mm-hmm. and grows... Right. the better it's going to be for all of us because we're going to continue to hear new and more and better perspectives and stories from other people that have learned to see things different ways right. and will realize how to love each other more. Yeah, and I think um, be patient because um, you know we realize that we, we also want to have a, a very diverse um, uh, background and a very diverse collection of, of guests on the show. It'll happen on its own. And we've already got that. We've got, like Adam just alluded to, we have a ton of episodes already recorded that we can't wait to share with you guys. Oh, man. Um, and we are diligently working on more and attempting to do our best to really kind of uh, be intentional about which episodes we release and when so you get a nice variety. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited for you guys to hear the new episodes. And by the time this episode airs, um, we will be just days away from our, our first live event, uh, Sunday, the 20th, mm. uh, March 20th here in Columbus, Ohio. We are very, very nearly sold out and, and it's quite possible we could be sold out by the time you hear this, but check the, check the website. We'll let you know. We'll, we'll have a post up whether or not there are tickets still available. There are You still could always just now. send us some money anyway. That's true. I mean, if you, if you want, want support, to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, books are and beer are expensive. This is true. It's true. <laughs> it's just... Especially I'm if we only drink just saying, sales, yeah, you know? I'm just saying we only drink <laughs> beer that is blessed by the Lord, right? By monks in Europe, <laughs> and that's the way it's going to be. So, <laughs> holy beer for holy topics. Uh, but, we, uh, we love you guys, and we yeah. we value you, and we we take this seriously, even though it sounds like we're having a lot of fun. Thank you, and uh, like I said, if there are tickets left, uh, March 20th, six to eleven p.m. We have three amazing bands: uh, Serpent Dove, David Carey's band. Uh, James Truslow from Truslow Music, uh, Colin Rigsby finishing it off with his project Vespertine. You may also know him uh, from House of Heroes. Um, all three of them will be playing the show, and uh, of course, we'll be doing a live podcast recording that evening. So bring your questions. Um, we're also going to have some merchandise available, some pretty sweet T-shirts that we just ordered. Yeah, we got swag, stickers. We got deconstruction of swag. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and those in the future will be available also for purchase on the website as well. So look out for that. So, yeah. But. Uh, 
as far as that's that goes. It. Enjoy the rest of the Bible series and yeah. shoot us an email. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that jazz. Share it with your friends. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Grace and peace, friends. Thank you.